On today's episode of Dr. MomCast, we tackle technologies that are being offered to, air quote, prevent concussion, such as protective helmet covers. True to our brand, we want to bring you the science behind these technologies and what we know about these technologies in professional and youth athletes. Spoiler alert, we don't know a whole lot yet about how they work in youth athletes, but that doesn't seem to prevent fear-based marketing to parents suggesting their kids need these devices. And hear from our own expert, Dr. Beth Piroth, on the latest and exciting studies from the NFL on sport equipment technologies. We are real moms talking about real science in real life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Dr. MomCast. I am Dr. Marla Shapiro here with some of my favorite sports neuropsychology colleagues. Dr. Alyssa Wickland. Dr. Lisa Nipolbaka. Dr. Sonia Mosh. Dr. Beth Piroth. And we are here to talk about kids, health, sports, safety, anything else that comes up. I am hoping that while we are talking here, our colleague, Dr. Ott, is getting a good night's sleep, walking the walk, that we promote good sleep with her daughter's crazy high school start times, and we miss her. But I know we have plenty to talk about amongst all of us. We haven't talked about some of the flashier headlines lately. Lisa, there were some news stories in your local market that had you really riled up, and I bet you'd like to start talking about those I would. One city in our community started using the protective helmet covers in their football game. We all are concussion specialists, and there's so much technology out there right now on the market that you can buy to help protect from concussion that I think it's important that we talk about what works and what doesn't. Especially to realize it's things that can seem relatively benign can actually maybe do harm. Every football player on a team in our community, beginning in sixth grade up through high school, was wearing these protective helmet covers. My blood started to boil and my spine started to tickle because knowing what we know about the research that's being done with these protective helmet covers, this was jumping ahead of the research. To clarify, um, you're talking about the athlete wears a helmet and then they put something over it that's padded that adds extra protection on top of the helmet. That's what we're talking exactly. about, right? Yes. They look like big marshmallow heads, right? Yes, and they were well-intentioned. However, it gives me such pause with the risk and knowing what we know about the physiology and the musculature and awareness in space. It's called the word of the day is proprioception. So it's basically your awareness of your body in space. So these little kids have these helmets on. Now we add another inch all the way around their helmet. We've taught them to tackle. They have no idea when their head's going to bump up against somebody else. And these high schools are wearing them during games, every single position, because that's the other thing is when the NFL did these studies, they started only with certain positions wearing these helmets. These people are putting them on every single kid on the field, but only half of the kids on the field. There's only 11 players wearing them. They're facing off against 11 who are not. And we have no idea what that's going to look like in terms of research and physics. I, I hope that there is data and literature that comes out that says it's just as effective. But as of now, it ain't there and it's not worth the financial investment. And also it's not worth the risk. It got to the core of what we're going to talk about tonight is the monetization of concussion and what is happening right now with the number of products being put out on the market between the protective helmet covers, the collars that press blood and fluid back up into your brain, the mouth guards that claim to diagnose concussions, the sensors that allege to be able to pick up on concussions, basically playing on parents' fear and anxiety in order for a lot of people to get a lot of money. It's capitalizing on parents' fears of injury and not doing enough for their kids and not having the newest, latest, greatest thing that will protect them. 
Elisa, some of those things that you mentioned, like a collar pressing on blood pushing back in the brain. Okay, that sounds bad. But adding more protection to the helmet, you refer to it as ahead of the research. On the surface, pun intended, beyond this issue of proprioception, is it really so bad? So there are a number of concerns about adding anything on top of or inside of a helmet. One is adding weight. We already know that the neck musculature of children is certainly weaker than adults. Or they're already had difficulty holding up their heads with these heavy helmets. Now you've added weight. So in the NFL, they look to see, is there an increase in neck injuries with their um, protective helmet covers? And there was not. But we all know the size of the necks of NFL players is not the same as our little ones. That's bigger than my thighs, and that's saying something. <laughs> Even a high school exactly. athlete that's not so shrimpy. It's still not the same. It's still not. So you're yeah. adding weight. The second is you're increasing the possibility of heat uh, exertion issue. It makes it harder for the heat to be you know, cleared from the head, right? So you're adding an extra cover. So what you do see is an increase in uh, heat. The helmet's going to smell worse. I know worse it doesn't seem it possible already... that that could actually right. happen, but it would possibly right. smell worse. So in the NFL, there didn't see an increase in key complaints, but they have all of these protocols and they have multiple people checking on them. So it's, again, not apples to apples. The other issue is that the issue of viscosity or of how much the helmets move off of each other. So helmets are designed to slide off each other. Because the engineering research has shown that the more the helmets stick to each other, the more force it's applied to the head and increased rates of neck injury. Anything that makes the helmet stickier is a problem. And the fourth issue is... Hang on a second, Beth, because that's a really big deal. And I know I wasn't a physics whiz. So helmets are super slick. And those protective helmet coverings, they're not sticky like glue, but they're squishy. And you're saying that that little bit of more stickiness of squishy versus slick makes that much of a difference? Are those technical terms, Marla? Absolutely. I teach a new vocab every week, man. The issues, they talk about the particular company that the NFL used, Guardian Caps, talks about plates moving. The notion is, are you dissipating the energy away from the head, which is a good thing? You have to look, is there an increased yeah. rate in yeah. other issues for a reduction in concussion tech? So it's not simply trying to reduce concussions. It's, are you also reducing the amount of force that's applied after every hit? So you have to look right. at all of these factors. The fourth issue is anytime you add anything to a helmet on top of, inside of, anytime you alter a helmet, you have voided the warranty by the manufacturer. So... God forbid something tragic happened and you felt it was the fault of the helmet that you have voided any protection that you have from that company because you have altered the helmet. That's true for outside additional also. I know it's true for inside, but even if you put something on top of it. Interesting. Again, I'm a little blonde and slow. So back to your point about, (laughs) because you're so full of facts. Uh, So you've got this squishy thing and presumably we think Oh, it's squishier. That's the technical word. It's not going to be as hard a hit. Therefore, you won't be as concussed. But you're saying, number one, not necessarily. But number two, if it doesn't slide off as fast, you're potentially increasing risk Correct. for other kinds and of you're injuries. you're actually increasing the amount of force applied to the head. Because 
the as the head slides off, they reduces the force. This is our walking ad for high school <laughs> physics. But it seems so counterintuitive. And I so love that you're explaining all those details because it seems so innocuous. Oh, I'm extra squishy. But here's the it thing. Really Maybe matter. it is. Maybe all of those risk factors can be remediated in some fashion because the NFL did see a 52% reduction in concussions in those players that wore them last year. But that's one year of data. You have to look at several years or more of data to draw any conclusion. So the NFL is continuing to look at uh, these protective helmet covers. They've increased the number of players who are wearing them this year, and they will continue to study them. But we cannot apply that same information to children. The caps of the NFL players are wearing are specific for NFL players. You can't just buy them and put them on a high school kid. To underscore that point, just because a high school player may be as tall or as wide as an NFL player, they are not physically the same. You can't make that extension. Here's the problem. We don't have the data. One of the biggest problems that we have in youth sports in general is lack of data on looking at this age group. So we have lots of data on professional um, athletes and collegiate athletes, some on high school athletes. You know, when it comes to data on injuries in youth athletes, it's minimal at best. So all of these caveats that we talk about are truly hypothetical. I'm not saying that these uh, protective helmet covers are useless or bad. What we're saying is there are things to consider. There are some studies in high school kids wearing these protective covers, but the few studies that have been done show no difference in number of concussions. Yeah. Do they listen to those studies also look at rates of other kinds of injuries? Do you That's know? a great Probably. question. Not the ones that I've seen. I wanted to say one of the things that is our mission when we decided to create this podcast was to get real science into the hands of everyday people who need it. We're trying to help people become better consumers of information and look at where is that information coming from? What's your source? And I want to brag a little bit about my friend, Dr. Piraf, because she is telling us about these physics studies about uh, NFL helmets because she sits on the NFL Head, Neck, and Spine Committee. Let's make sure that people understand that finding something on Yahoo.com. <laughs> My source is People Magazine. Is that another Cosmo? Okay, it is, Alyssa. Unless you're interested in dating lives of celebrities, <laughs> that's your go-to. I, I value good point. the opinions of people who have research and years of experience and street cred. One thing about trying to help our listeners become educated consumers of information, look at where your information is coming from. Yahoo, not so good. Dr. Pirath, good. Thank you. So I make it really clear that I'm not providing any information that is privileged under the Head, Neck, and Spine Committee. This information that I'm providing has all been published. It is publicly available. And it really does not only inform improving the safety of NFL players, but it does trickle down to the younger ones. We just have to be really careful that we don't think it's apples to apples. We don't think that a finding in the NFL is then directly relatable to high school or youth athletes, which is where the money tends to be. Because back to Lisa's issue yeah. of the monetization, the NFL and NHL and the MLS, they can afford the best equipment, the best personnel. That's great that we're protecting those athletes. But what we're talking about is the millions of youth athletes that we all care deeply about. And we have to be really careful that we do not assume that research on 300 pound alignment is the same for your 95 pound seventh grader. I love Sonia's comment about educating consumers. And we're just trying to get people to think more critically yeah. when they hear some of these stories.
on a very basic level, would you give your 95 pound high school kid the same dose of Tylenol as you would a 300 pound lineman? Exactly. It's, uh, we just have to get back to basics, get back to common sense. We don't treat kids like miniature adults. Yeah, I tried their 7,000 calorie <laughs> diet and it didn't work for me. I don't <laughs> exactly. I didn't have the same outcome, unfortunately. That's what made my skin crawl or my butthole pucker, whichever one you want to pick a look at. Thank you for that image, Lisa. I watched this. And again, it dinged because it was my alma mater. And then it also dinged because it's concussion. I'm like, that's my jam. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh, no. The idea of this story, which I truly believe they're very well-intentioned. The goal was we did this for our entire football association from peewees all the way up to high school because we want to be ahead of the curve. You've got a company marketing this stuff, saying more questions going to protect heads. You've got intelligent people in schools or popcorn or wherever. How do they become more educated consumers, especially if the people selling them the stuff are purportedly addressing these questions? How do you know if it's legit research? What do we tell them to do different? I can speak to that a little bit. I, I was asked by a professional organization about a supplement. I know we're not talking about supplements today, but and so in order to answer any question, I go to the scientific literature and this website had very flashy information about this supplement and it's going to help your brain and it's going to help with concussion recovery. So I looked at the science uh, and went to the actual papers the research was done on and it was done on 16 people. 16 people in a study is a very, very small number of people that doesn't generalize to a whole population. If uh, these organizations have research on their website, which they often do, starting at, at simply looking at the numbers, if there are thousands of people in a study, in my mind, that's a more credible study than a study that where there's 16 individuals. Wait, we are not anti-technology. I hope yeah. that all of this stuff pans out and makes our sports safer. Yes, I safer. think it's a great point. But like at some point, somebody thought the 8-track and the Gremlin were great products we can debate that. like some some technology that comes out we jump on board and it ends up to be absolute crap we just have to be very careful when we're consuming that you don't jump on the train too early when it's heading toward a cliff i think it's a great point there's o dot common sense approach that a lot of us could do look at sample size but also find somebody knowledgeable i will say right after i saw that news story i immediately went to google scholar which is not just Google, it's Google Scholar, which is where they publish scientific literature that's been peer reviewed. Maybe I missed something. Like, did I miss some massive study that was done on youth, you know, protective helmet covers? It turns out, nope, I did not. So if you Google Scholar something and you get zero hits, it means it's probably not ready for prime time just yet. That's the great thing to think about is when you're like Lissa said, these companies have on their websites different studies. It can look impressive. You can look and say, oh, look at all these studies. I'm on a different committee in the NFL, and we look at um, emerging technologies. And if you look at some of the studies, what, what you'll see is the studies don't apply to the subject of interest. Explain that more, Matt. I feel like um, that might get okay. lost in Thank translation. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate that. Uh, let's say you pick a product that you're interested in, and that they will have research on their website. And that can look very impressive because you see all kinds of Great. studies. But you have to look critically at the studies to make sure that the study that they're claiming is supportive of their product is actually looking at the injury or illness that they're claiming to improve. So in our case, there are companies that claim products or services or technology that's helpful in the prevention of concussion or the treatment of concussion. 
But when you look at the research that they cite on their website that is supposedly in support of their product, it's a study on an entirely different illness like Parkinson's disease or Alzheimer's disease, ADHD or whatever. It's not a study that's applicable to what you're looking at. And that can be really confusing for the public because they will simply see a whole bunch of studies thinking that the signs supporting that product. Another bait and switch example I was thinking of when you were saying that Beth was in our Leslie Bonsi episode, she was talking about supplements and how individuals with food insecurity don't have access to that. Well, that's true for uh, a lot of this protective equipment too. So there's the fear factor, parents should get this or you're not protecting your child, but that's kind of a bait and switch. It's not accessible right. to everyone. And and that's not really fair to make people who just simply could not afford these technologies feel less that because they can't get this technology because it's out sure, of reach exactly financially. Right. And another thing related to that in the same world as uh, supplements is looking at who the study is done on. So that one of the problems with supplements is that most of these studies are done on rats or mice, which is fine. That's other than I don't like the fact that we're killing you know animals, but that is a perfectly good place to start scientific exploration. The problem is these studies get published and it then gets out to the public that studies are supporting the use of these products and people. You know, you need human clinical trials, particularly randomized control trials um, before you can start talking about anything about a product or service being helpful, certainly not looking at animal studies alone. Beth, can you explain what you mean by randomized control so, trials? Oh, the easiest way to, to explain it like, is the fact that the people are randomly placed into different groups. Therefore, they don't know what their treatment are getting. When you randomly distribute people, you can control for a lot of different moderating variables or factors that may affect those results. And so it's not simply what we call a sample of convenience, meaning people who say, yeah, I've had a lot of concussions, study me, right? Or whatever the case may be. So randomized control trials are considered sort of the gold standard of research, but they're expensive and they're hard to do and, and they take a long time. My point is more not that every study has to be randomized control, is that understand that animal trials are simply a starting point. I keep picturing a little mouse with a helmet on. <laughs> with the protective cover on you. So how cute would it be with the puppy bowl that happens at halftime of the Super Bowl if all the little puppies had protective helmet oh. Going back, and I think, again, we can talk more on other episodes about all the other technology that's out there, but there is so much right now. I hope that it ends up panning out that this does give really good information, but in terms of using it as a diagnostic tool, there is just not the research to support it right now. And what what are better ways to spend your money? If you're going to be putting money into your child's safety, where would you put it? Yes. I think this is such a great example of what we're talking about. One, the lack of science. Two, the monetization. And three, people rushing to try to say that they're ahead of the curve. A number of years ago, a university out on the East Coast put out a press release saying that they had studied football players and found that they're particular brand of chocolate milk was helpful in recovery of concussion. And there was a lot of press about it. People were talking about it. As you can imagine, those of us who do this work with that, wait, what? Wait, was chocolate milk relevant here? What happened was somebody then looked at the study when the study actually came out, because again, the news picked up on a press release, not the actual study. And what they found was there was no improvement in recovery with chocolate milk and that the study had been funded by the manufacturer of this particular brand of chocolate milk, which 
I think anyone can appreciate that's not ethically appropriate and certainly cloud the, the validity of the study. And when the study was examined, it was basically garbage. I was getting phone calls from schools saying, should we, I, I have money, should I buy this milk? And I was like, oh my God. And I would say, if you have extra money laying around in your athletic budget, hire another athletic trainer. Okay. First and foremost, that's the best use of money for mm -hmm. um, protecting our kids is having athletic trainers available. It's just a perfect example of how the public can become aware of something that isn't supported by science. And helmet technology too. That's what our association just bought all new helmets this year. They didn't get the protective covers, but they did buy all new helmets. All the NFL and all of the helmet researchers have different types of helmets that get retired based on their efficacy. The type and fit of your helmet is important if you're going to be investing money. And when we're talking about some of these technologies that are not science-based, if you look at the evolution of the helmet, that's actually a really good example of where science has moved the needle and improving the technology of yeah, the helmet. And the exactly what I was going to say, Alyssa, because what it's happened is the, based on the NFL studies, the manufacturers have really stepped up. And over the last about three years, there's been a dramatic increase in the quality of the helmet. The NFL does studies and this engineering roadmap. So they look not only at what helmets the players are wearing and how many concussions occur on the field, actual productivity with these helmets. They also look at uh, laboratory studies and they look at all of these factors to decide the quality of the helmets. A few years ago, they created this chart and the green helmets were the highest performing helmets. Light green were the ones that were like good, not as great as good green ones. The yellow ones were ones that were going to start to be phasing out and the red ones were ones that were not allowed. And what they have found is that this call for improved helmets has increased the number of helmets that she fit into the green categories. These are good helmets. And those helmets do perform well in younger kids. So that is exactly as Alyssa said, it's a great example of technology now being applied to younger kids and in the correct way. And that's exciting, right? That's what we love to see. And so to Lisa's point, we're not against technology. We, in fact, we hope that somebody finds something that works. We're just saying to people, you have to be cautious about some of these things that you're hearing on the news before you make purchase of these products. And we've talked a lot about football today, but make no mistake, that's one of the bigger organizations, the NFL. A lot of positive change occurs in equipment and technology, but that trickles down to other sports, hockey, lacrosse, you know, other helmeted sports. Will and it has already regards the helmets because the uh, Virginia Tech rating system, the helmet rating system, and I really encourage people to yes, go to their Virginia Tech, uh, just Google Virginia Tech you know, helmet rating system. And then a few years ago, they started looking at hockey helmets. And you really want your child in a four or five star helmet, regardless of sport. And what they found was that most of the hockey helmets were zero, one, or two stars. Um, As someone who's a hockey mom, Lisa and Sonia, um, and Alyssa yeah. were all hockey moms, um, it was yep. very distressing. But what is really exciting is that the helmet manufacturers, CM and Bauer and the others, really responded. And now there are multiple four and five star hockey helmets. So this is interesting. I was just on the Virginia Tech website because that's what I use for my son's helmets always. It's called Football Helmet Shell Add-on. They've actually done studies looking at the average percent reduction with three different types of add-ons. But again, these are not on real people, but their varsity football helmets have been tested with in a lab, lab right? Which is what that, that Stanford study said too, is that it showed reduction in a lab, but it there was no statistical significant 
difference. And I think vivo. that this is, has improved. But for years, one of the problems was in the lab, it was just the drop test. So they literally put a helmet on and they dropped it, which is fine if measuring force. But in reality, that's not how people hit each other on the football field. That's why some of the things the NFL is doing is so exciting because the engineers actually reconstruct every single concussion that happens to look exactly how those forces are applied in real life and to understand those kind of forces. So that information, along with the laboratory information on the helmets, is how they derive these helmet ratings. So it's a much better sense. There's whitewater, there's bicycle, they're speaking my language. This is interesting. So it says the helmet model itself is crucial, that while helmet shell add-ons can enhance a helmet's performance, it's important to note that poor-performing helmet with an add-on may not perform as well as a high-performing helmet without oh, an add-on. So that's really interesting. interesting. Yeah. So you might be better off spending a little bit more on the higher rated helmet. Otherwise, you're putting lipstick on a pig. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. So Beth, I love these tips you gave us for looking at the Virginia Tech website, right. looking at helmet integrity ratings. But as much as I would love for you to give us tips for parents on helmet safety and fitting, it sounds like that's a whole nother discussion maybe for another episode. So what are our takeaways? Be wary of the monetization. Look carefully at, at the science best you can. Is there science supporting it? We love technology. Technology is helping advance greater helmet safety, but buyer beware. Get some data before you look for the next best thing. Look at the research or find an expert to educate you on the research. But above all, just keep asking questions mm -hmm. and look beyond the superficial, glossy stuff because we all want what's best and what's safest for our kids. Well said, yes. Dr. Shapiro. And feel free to always direct messages on Instagram or Facebook and Twitter. Dr. Momcast. Thank you. That was a touchdown. Come back and we'll talk more about the big world of helmet safety, sports safety equipment. How to know if the stuff your kid's getting is good or good enough. And again, how to be good, savvy consumers. <laughs>